G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media, thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation today at vision.org.au. Welcome to Leading the Way, the worldwide media ministry of Dr. Michael Youssef. It's no surprise that many people, both inside and outside churches, are being deceived to believe and follow false gospels. In fact, it's become quite common for once solid churches to turn away from truth to embrace cultures of tolerance, which is tragically leading many people to the gates of hell. Today, Dr. Yusuf takes you to the pages of Second Peter. You'll be provided tools to discern false teaching and how best to respond. It's part of Dr. Yusuf's challenging series, It's Never Too Late. In the last message from Second Peter, we saw Peter not only assailing the false teaching, but he was denouncing the false teachers. Something that if you do today, you immediately get labeled as intolerant. <laughs> Here in chapter 2, I hope you turn to it with me, chapter 2 begins to assure us of the impending doom that will come upon those false teachers and false preachers. Himirat, please. Perhaps there is nothing more offensive to God than the distortion of His Word. Did you get that? I'll repeat it. (laughs) Perhaps there is nothing more offensive to God than the distortion of His Word. To falsify or minimize or substitute or modify God's Word in order to please people and to please the culture in which we live is to promote Satan's lie as the truth. Why is this so serious and why I'm going to be dwelling on it for a little bit? Why? It is absolutely serious. This is the battle of the Christian believers in this generation. Because eternity is at stake. Nothing short of eternity that's at stake. Falsifying or modifying the gospel just to fill in the pews is a serious offense to God. But beloved, here's what Peter tells us. He's saying this is not new. So all of us in the 21st century, don't be surprised by it. Know it. Stand against it. Be faithful. But it is not new, as he says in verse 1. Because wherever the Word of God is preached, Satan is always behind with his falsehood. Whenever the wheat is being sown, Satan is right behind. He is sowing what? Tares. John 8, 44. That Satan is the father of all lies. He is the inventor. Uh, He is the promoter. He is the preacher of all lies, and he uses false teachers in the church to do it, to promote this lie. But Peter said something else here again. Look at it with me, please. This is not new because even in the Old Testament, he's talking about the people of God, back in the Old Testament, there were false prophets 
Even back then, just as there are false teachers today, his day, our day. But there were also false prophets, talking about the Old Testament, among the people, just as there were false teachers among you. Beloved, you can always discern a false teacher by how easily he or she embrace the worldly culture. Did you get that? You can always discern a false teacher or preacher by how easily they embrace worldly culture and popular culture. When that happens, a congregation that was once on fire for God, slowly but surely, no longer endure sound doctrine. They no longer endure sound teaching. Congregations that once was Christ-centered, had Christ-centered worship and preaching, uh, they give way to man-made antics and entertainment. The Bible emphasis that was once preached about sin and repentance and the holiness of God become replaced by emphasis on self-esteem and felt needs. Look at verse 1 again. As I said, I'm dwelling on this. They will secretly, actually it's subtly, that's what really mean we're subtly. Very, oh, they're very clever. They're slick. Subtly introduce destructive heresies. These false teachers will never come out and say, I don't believe the Bible anymore. I really never believed the Bible. I don't believe the Bible is inspired Word of God. I don't believe in inerrancy of the Scripture. No, 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 no. They're too clever for that. They'll couch it with a disclaimer. Why? Because, for example, the virgin birth, when they say, you don't have to, but you come to Jesus. How do you come to a Jesus who is not divine? If he's not divine, and he's born just like all of us, of the will of man, of the seed of man, then he is a sinner. How can a sinner bear the sins of sinners? You see, the very core of the gospel is at the stake here. When they say, well, you don't have to believe in the sanctity of marriage, what are they doing? They are destroying the very purpose of God in creation. What are these false teachers doing? According to the Word of God, they are exchanging the truth of God's words for their own self-styled opinion. And Peter is saying these false teachers have been, are, and always will be around. They'll always be around. Peter is giving us a number of ways to spot a false teacher and a false preacher. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. They will secretly, I already told you, subtly introduce destructive heresies. They're very subtle. They're too slick. They're, they're very sneaky. Sometimes they use words like love, <laughs> but really they meant something else. In reality, they want you to love them, not love the truth. <laughs> the word Destructive heresies here means a, a doctrine that contains some truth, but cleverly blended with error. <laughs> it's like a glass of water with few drops of hemlock <laughs> or cyanide. One word. In one word, Peter is telling us 
these false teachers are the masters of deception. They're brilliant communicators. They just have enough of the truth there to make the unsuspecting keep on coming to them, keep on coming to them. While they are slowly but surely, they are poisoning the water. Remind me of the farmer who decided one day oats getting too expensive. So he was going to slowly substitute oat with sawdust in feeding of his mule. In the beginning, there were a lot of oats, a little bit of sawdust. Then more sawdust and less oats. Then more sawdust, then more sawdust, until in the end, was all sawdust. The mule survived for a while, but in the end, the mule dropped dead. You cannot survive on spiritual sawdust, spiritually speaking, particularly when it is slow and gradual, slow and gradual introduction of error mixed with the truth. It will be accepted until people find themselves spiritually dead. And Peter is saying, these people deny the Lord. When I read this, I said, who on God's earth can know what it means to deny the Lord like Peter? He knew what it means to deny his Lord, and yet he also knows how welcoming the Lord is to every repentant person, even the one who deny him, just like the difference between him and Judas. Peter turned to the Lord, and he was renewed and given a great ministry. Judas hung himself. So it is my prayer that if you are tempted, pastor, to go down that road, that you will turn back to the Lord before it's too late. In fact, the Greek word for deny means contradict or reject or disavow. They deny the Lord who bought them. I want you to say those words with me. They deny the Lord who bought them. Some of you are saying, now, wait a minute, wait a minute. He bought them? And the reason I'm going to dwell in this for a minute is because people fought over this for 2,000 years. (laughs) I want to clarify it for you so you will never miss it. Deny the Lord who bought them. What does it mean, the Lord who bought them? Beloved, when our Lord Jesus Christ hung on the cross and His blood kept on dripping, kept on dripping until he died on that cross. By this very gracious act, Jesus bought the whole world. The whole world. When Adam fell in the Garden of Eden, he handed the deeds of planet Earth to Satan. But on the cross, Jesus arrested the planet Earth's deeds from Satan's hand. And so he bought the whole world. It means that redemption is possible for everyone, every human being on the face of the earth. By buying the whole world, Jesus' redemption now is possible for whomsoever, whomsoever, whomsoever. By buying the whole world does not mean that He redeemed the whole world as some of these false teachers are teaching. By buying the world, Jesus is giving everyone an opportunity to come to Him and be redeemed. By buying the world, Jesus is saying that the Muslim and the Hindu and the Buddhist and the atheist and the non-religious and the agnostic 
Everyone, all can come to me and receive salvation from my hand. Amen. That's what buying the world means. He bought it all, but he did not redeem it all. This is vitally important, beloved, because every statistic show 64% of so-called evangelical Christians believe that there are many ways to God. I told you, this is the battle of our time. On the cross, Jesus redeemed whomsoever comes to him to be saved, not redeemed the whole world. Like so many of these universalists are saying, Rob Bell, one of the poster boys for false teachers and false preachers who started well and went bad, puts it this way, love wins, meaning everybody's going to make it. But in reality, redemption is only for those who have received Jesus Christ as their only Savior and Lord. Redemption is only for those who have availed themselves to the value of that shed blood on Calvary. And even Jesus himself tells us that, Matthew 13, 44. Jesus pictures himself as the man who sold everything. He gave up everything. He gave up his glory in heaven. He gave his all to buy a field. And the Bible said the field is the world. He tells us that the field is the world with all that's in it. The wheat and the tear, he bought the world. They all bought by his death. His death on the cross was sufficient. Listen carefully to that word. His death on the cross was sufficient for the redemption of the whole world, but is only effective for those who repent of their sins and turn to him. It's only effective for those who come to him his way, not their own terms. And those who teach any other gospel are false teachers, false preachers, and their destruction will be swift. Look at verse 2 with me, please. I know some of you are looking at your faces now and say, ooh, he's only at verse 2. <laughs> Don't panic, <laughs> because I focused on the most important thing. I'm going to spare you the gory details of the flood and Sodom and Gomorrah, although I will not skip it. But I'm dwelling on this because it is very important. Verse 2, these false teachers who are lowering biblical standards of morality, these false teachers who are encouraging self-indulgence, sexual perversions, they will be swiftly judged. They will be swiftly judged. Verse 3, those who wink at wickedness and immorality for personal gain, those who have chosen the ministry, not because God's call on their life, but because it's a lucrative profession. Those who have chosen to be ministers, not because they care for the people's eternity, but for their own self-aggrandizement. They may become accepted and loved by the sinful culture. They may receive the applause and the accolades and the approval of the sinful culture. And yet, in reality, they are digging their own eternal grave. Doesn't give me any joy saying this. Someone may be asking, and I know somebody asked me that several months ago. If that is the case, why these people are so successful? Now listen to me very carefully. I'm going to give you the answer. It has nothing to do with them. It has to do with God. God is very, 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 how many varies are these? Very patient. 
God is long-suffering. God gives them ample opportunity to turn to him and repent. Just as he gave an opportunity to Peter, who denied him. But in the end, please do not judge things by appearances. The last chapter has not been written yet. And then in verses 4 to 11, Peter gives us specific biblical evidence of how God is going to deal with the wicked, how God is going to sooner or later going to judge them. They will not get away with it. Verse 4, God judged angels, and He kicked them out of heaven when they sinned. When Lucifer and one-third of the angelic being rebelled against the holy God, they were thrown out of heaven into the very pit of hell, and they will be eventually thrown into the lake of fire when Jesus comes back in power and great glory. And so He sent these fallen angels to utter doom, and He'll do the same with false preachers and teachers. But not only fallen angels were severely judged. The ancient world, when they turned their backs on the truth of God, they suffered doom and destruction. In fact, the book of Genesis chapter 6 verse 5 gives us a description of the culture at that time. I'll read it to you and see if that picture does fit our time when every imagination of thoughts of their heart were only evil continuously. Only Noah and his family were righteous, and they were saved. Let me ask you this. Do you know how long it took God to preach righteousness through Noah to his generation? Do you know how often he pleaded with them, escape, 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 while escaping is good? Do you know how many years? Hundred and twenty years! Oh, God is long-suffering. He's patient. Now, fast forward 450 years from the time when the flood came and covered the whole earth. 450 years after the flood, the twin cities of Sodom and Gomorrah turned their back on the witness of a righteous man by the name of Lot, and God judged them severely. Now, I don't know about you, But I think some of you, if you're like me, when you looked at this verse 7 and says, righteous man like Lot. Now, wait a minute. We know that guy. (laughs) He was righteous? How can the the Bible calls him righteous? Listen carefully, please. Verse 8 tells you the answer. Verse 8, for by what the righteous man saw and heard, as he lived among them, he was tormented. The old translation said he was vexed. Literally, it means he was tortured. He was being tortured. Hear me right, please. What I'm going to say to you is going to surprise some of you. Not all of you. It's going to surprise some of you. But I hope you understand me, not misunderstand me. The mark of righteousness, and we in the New Testament believers only have the righteousness of Jesus Christ, not our own. But the mark of righteousness of how you react to the sinful culture in which we live. The false preachers and teachers say, let's accommodate to it. Under the guise of engaging the culture, they're swimming in the murky water of the culture. But the righteous, the righteous weeps over the sinful culture. 
the righteous soul is distressed over it. The righteous heart breaks in two, and the righteous hearts long for them to come, pray for them to come, and do what they can to introduce them to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So the question is, when you come into direct contact with evil culture in which we all live, how do you react? Do you want to accommodate to it? Do you want to go along with it? Do you want to accept it as an inevitable progress? Or do you weep over it? Or do you seek with all your heart to light a candle in that dark place? Does it drive you on your knees to pray for them and witness to them? Like now, 450 years before Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot stood against the sin of his day. And then in verse 9, Peter assures us that God is able to deliver the righteous and judge the deceiver. He's able to do it, and He'll do it. Make no mistake about it, the world will accuse us of hate. They will. And I often think, I said, we're the the most loving people on the face of the earth. We're the most caring people on the face of the earth. People who are with broken heart over their sin, but we love them with all of our heart. But your brokenness over their sin is your greatest indication that you are righteous, man, woman, boy, or girl. Beloved, the pattern of divine judgment is very clear. It's throughout the Scripture, and Peter reiterates it here. First, there is comfort in the fact that we know the Lord knows how to rescue, how to deliver His righteous ones. God knows how to save His own. Make no mistake about it. And that is why we have no fear. Peter also saying that God knows how to judge the unrighteous. For the unrighteous is like a man or woman on death row. They're in the cell. They could be called any moment to face their judgment. Meanwhile, as they were sitting in that cell, as they're waiting, they accumulate more guilt, unless, of course, they repent and turn to the Lord. That is why the series of messages called It Is Never Too Late. I don't care how far you've gone from God. I don't know how much you have sinned. The grace of God is greater than all of your sins. Our God delivers from the guttermost to the uttermost. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're listening to Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef. If you'd like to speak with someone about spiritual things, we have pastoral team members who'd love to spend some time with you. Start the conversation at ltw.org slash Jesus. ltw.org slash Jesus. Hey, remember, in addition to radio and podcast, you can connect with Dr. Yusuf and the Ministry of Leading the Way by watching his weekly television broadcast and joining him live most Sundays when he teaches at his home church in Atlanta. We call it Leading the Way Live at Apostles. Information about this and all the ways to connect is available at ltw.org. 
This program is furnished by Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef, passionately proclaiming uncompromising truth around the world. taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.